So good to see you in the house of the Lord today. So many good-looking faces. and Well, they were here. You know, most kids left. But um, so good, though, to see you. Glad you were here. Um, what a beautiful week we've had um, outside. But, man, we have been fighting some stuff in the spiritual realm. We have been fighting stuff in a morality uh, that's going on in our in our world today uh, that we see new things coming down, seem like new legislation or new uh, mandates, which they want to call the law, uh, those type things. And, uh, you know, I, I want to talk to us today on, on a topic that... Um, uh, that is is so real, and when I when I start telling you about what I'm going to talk about, you you'll it'll it'll, it'll open your eyes to some things today, and uh, I want to talk to us on this topic, moral relativism. Are you fighting against God? Now, if you're like me, when I first started studying this, I didn't know what really moral relativism really really was. I mean, I had an idea, a general idea, but I want to make it more specific today and give you some definitions on moral relativism. And I might get tongue-tied trying to say that. Um, so what is, and I'm going to give you some scripture, and if you want to find, turn to Matthew chapter 12, uh, but first I want to give you the definition of moral relativism. And when I begin to read this, and I got this right off of the Internet. This is not, this is not a, uh, a Christian definition. This is right from the Internet, okay? So I just went in there and, what is it? What is it? And I copied and pasted. Pretty brilliant, huh? <laughs> that way it's not something you think, well, that's just got a Christian spin on it. I, I, I wanted you to understand, and then I'm going to compare what the Bible says. So what is more relativism? More relativism is an ethical relativism, often reformulated as relativist ethics or relativist morality. Now, there's a key word there, a key thing. It says often reformulated. So this is a relativist. In other words, whatever is relative to you is what it's saying, relative morality. It says, is a term used to describe several philosophical positions concerned with the differences in moral judgments across different peoples and their own particular cultures. Let me read that again. It is a term used to describe several philosophical positions. All right, so right off the bat, we find a difference uh, that it's going to go against the grain of the Word of God. So it's a different philosophical positions. It doesn't matter your philosophical position when it comes to God's Word. His word is true, his word is right, and whatever you think about it is irrelevant because it's still true. Amen? So watch. It says, it is the difference in moral judgments across different peoples and their own particular cultures. Do you know God is the God of America like he's God of Africa and Tanzania and Uganda? He's the same God and he has the same principles. He has the same standards. There's the same requirements to get to heaven. And he judges those people like he does us. It doesn't matter. See, he's not on a socioeconomical status on how he judges you biblically. Can I get an amen? He is the same God always across the board. So it has nothing to do with your personal preferences or cultures. 
Also, the definition goes on to say, an advocate of such ideas, these different philosophical and cultural moral judgments, those ideas are often labeled simply as a relativist for short. In other words, if you hear somebody say, well, I'm a relativist, watch out. Did you hear what I said? Watch out. If they deem themselves as a relevant, relevant this, this, I told you I was going to get tongue-tied. <laughs> Not a relative. <laughs> Y'all got them relatives? <laughs> they got their own opinion and yours don't count. <laughs> so this relativist is short. So if they start calling themselves that, you want to watch out. It says, in detail, descriptive moral relativism holds only that people do, in fact, disagree fundamentally about what is moral with no judgment being expressed on the desirability of this. In other words, you have yours, your opinion, I have my opinion, and so we don't agree. Okay, whatever. So that's, that's what that uh, descriptive. Now, uh, meta-ethical moral relativism holds that in such disagreements, nobody is objectively right or wrong. Okay. A normative moral relativism holds that because nobody is right or wrong, everyone ought to tolerate the behavior of others even when considerable large disagreements about morality of a particular thing exist. Just so you know, we do not in America have normative um, relative uh, moral relativism. We do not have that. That means we can agree uh, uh, to disagree. But here it's like if this is, uh, if abortion's uh, a right to choose, a woman has a right to choose. It's her body, her choice. Right? Well, what if you stand up over here, my, my body, my choice, I don't want to be uh, injected. I don't want to get shot. Ah, that's wrong. Ah, nope, nope. Two different things now. That's hypocrisy at its greatest level. But how do we get rid of a hypocrisy? Well, we bring in this normative, if you will, um, moral relativism. See, I, I can disagree with you, and you got to line up with me, but I don't have to disagree. I don't have to line up with you. And so then there's takes away the hypocrisy. We know what the Bible says about hypocrisy. And so if we can take away these key words, uh, right, then guess what? We all become on, we get on the same page on our thought process of morality. See, this is like a wicked intertwined spider web that one thing leads to another, and we just say, well, that doesn't affect me. Yes, it will affect you. If it comes out of Washington, it's going to affect you either for good or bad. Glory to God. That's the only things you can do. A lot of things are great. There are great things out of Washington. Don't get me wrong. But there's a lot of bad things. So let's look at Matthew chapter 12, starting verse 29 and verse 30. Matthew 29, verse 29, 12, 29, and verse 30. The story is where the, the leaders are, are questioning Jesus about him casting out a devil, and they're calling him the devil, and he's talking about the house divided against itself cannot stand, and that's another message altogether. But I want to pick up at the end of that when he said he knew their thoughts, and, and this is what his response was to them. It says, or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? It's a question he's asking. How can this happen? How can you come into my place and plunder my goods unless you bind me? That's a question, okay? And here's the, the answer. And then, uh, the, 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 the follow-up to that question. And then he will plunder his house. That's what the Bible says. You got to bind a strong man, then the house can be plundered. 
Verse 30, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Now, the Bible's very clear. Unless you bind the strong man, nothing can be plundered. But when you bind the strong man, everything can be plundered. So he's saying, hey, if you're not on my side, you are against me. That's pretty definite. I mean, that's like drawing the line in the sand and say, I, I think I want to be on your side today, and then tomorrow I'll be. And if it lines up with me and my moral relativism or what I think, then, then I want to be on your side. But if it don't, I want to be on my side. And he says, well, wait a minute. Here, let me draw. And, and I love the way he makes this picture. Uh, he draws this picture. He draws a line in the sand and says, you're either with me or you're against me. See, your opinion on moral relativism, moral ethics does not matter. What you believe to think, uh, if it's not the word of God, does not matter to God. And, and see, I think that's where we're, a lot of people are going to be surprised one day. But Lord, I, I was with you right here. Now, you know, I was more times with you than I was against you. He says, yeah, well, the, the, the criteria was you're either with me or you're against me. He didn't, he didn't say if you're with me more times than you're not, then, then you get to enter in. You're either with me or you're against me. Now, <clears throat> let's move on. Morality used to be the strong man in America. Hear me out. Morality used to be the strong man in America. Okay? But moral relativism has bound the strong man of morality. What I believe to be okay, moral relativism, because I don't really like what the Bible says. That says a little different, and I, I don't, you know, I don't want to shape up to do that. So I'm going to make up my own morality. And so when I make up on my own morality, guess what? I'm binding the strong man that Christ has put out, this uh, strong man of real morality. Make sense? You follow me? So the Bible's very clear. It can't be plundered. Morality can't be plundered unless the morality is suppressed, unless morality is bound. And so how do we bind morality? Well, we come up with different definitions of morality. We come up with moral relativism. And you think one thing's okay, and I think another thing's okay. Well, we don't have to agree to disagree. Okay, you're good, and you're good, and I'm good. So we're just all good, and we'll all just all be on, the, be on our way. Well, that's not what the Bible says, okay? <clears throat> In short, what is moral relativism? What seems to be true to us or what I interpret to be true, or what seems to be true in a particular situation or culture, what I deem to be okay. Have you ever talked to a Christian? We can all, I bet we could put uh, five people up on this stage and ask uh, questions about morality and get somewhat different answers. Why is that? If we're Christians, you will find that it's okay for me to do this, and it's okay a little bit over here, and this one's okay, and, th and then that one maybe, and this one may be okay, but, but where is the centrality of morality? Why do we have different thought processes on what morality should be within the church? What's right or what's wrong? Do you want me to give you the answer? There's two, two it's a two-part answer. Number one, we don't read the Word of God to know what it is. And then number two, we have read it, and we don't want to line up with it, so we make up our own. Woo! Shout me down now. You, have, you may have heard this statement. I've even made this statement. I repent. <laughs> 
You do you and I will do me. This is a form of moral relativism. You know what we just walked away from? Expressing the truth to someone. If you say, you do you and I'll do me. Okay, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're wrong and, and I'm right. Well, that is an opportunity to express true morality from the word of God. If we're Christians, we're called to do that. Be, be light, be salt and light in the world, right? And so if they're not hearing true morality, if they're not hearing the word of God, then how are they going to know? The Bible says they're going to they're know by what they hear. Hearing comes by faith and faith comes by what? The word of God. Watch. <clears throat> Moral relativism says make your own standards of truth as you evolve into what God wants you to be. We're all evolving into some creature that God has for us. And I tell you what, on your journey, if it doesn't fit you, you just make it up as you go and we'll all end up at the same place. Yeah, it's called hell. Amen. Y'all have heard uh, many titles of books, people, many roads that lead to heaven. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tweak that a little bit. Every road leads to heaven. You just don't get to stay there very long if you're on the wrong path. Because the Bible says every spirit's going to go back and stand for him, right? All roads do lead there. <laughs> I'm just making a little funny. You, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are uptight and legalistic. Oh, God, he just, it's heresy right there. He just spoke blasphemy in the church. Come on now. <laughs> Woo, glory. You sound relaxed a little bit. If your standard of truth is not God's standard, you are against him. That's what the Bible says. You're either for me or you're against me. No middle ground. Well, you get to heaven, well, Lord, I was coming to your side. I, I was on the way to your side. No, you're either with him or you're against him, period. You either stand for his standards of morality in your day-to-day -day walk, in your job, or you don't. That's kind of tough. You either stand for him, with him, biblical principles, or you don't. You don't get to compromise every now and then because it's a certain person that says, well, if I say you that, you know, that's going to push them away. Okay, the gospel only does two things. It draws you or it pushes you away. That's what the gospel does. The true gospel, a gospel with moral relativism, says everybody's okay. Come on in as you are and stay as you are. Stay doing what you're doing as long as you want to do it and you're okay because we're making up standards just for you in our church. Amen. All right, let's move on. You're loving that so much. I'm going to go keep moving. Just because, now listen to me when I make this statement. Just because you can justify an action that is wrong does not change God's standards. I can justify a lot of stuff. I mean, just ask my wife. If I want to buy something, man, I've got, I've looked. Before I go to her to buy something that's of any, any amount of money other than $3, I already have a plan. How am I going to present this to her so that it incorporates her to believe the way I believe or think about a certain thing so that we can get this thing. And if that don't work, I got, I got a super plan. I just simply say, Ethan wants it. <laughs> Boom. Do you think we really need it? I, you know, Ethan thought we did. Okay, well, let's get that. 
Say, I'm sorry she don't think that way about you. <laughs> but I think that way about you. It's this mother-daughter, uh, mother-son, father-daughter kind of thing going on. It just happens. And some of you get older, you'll get it. Anything, listen to this, Hunter, anything that deviates from God's standards puts you against God. <laughs> If, if it deviates from what the Word of God calls sin or morality, then it is sin. It is not his morality. If it deviates from what God says, this is my statute, this is my commandment, this is the way it should be done, anything other than that, it's wrong. It is considered moral relativism if you decide, well, I'm just going to live here in this. It's wrong absolutely wrong church if we do not get our moral standards straight from the bible we have helped bind the strong man of morality did you hear what i said if we do not get our moral standards straight from the bible we you and i have helped bind the strong man of morality i did i mean Preacher, I've been coming to church. I mean, I pay my tithes. I'm a member. I mean, you know, I do everything. I even worship, raise my hands when we worship. I mean, how can I be, how can I be helping bind the strong man of morality? Well, what do you let slide when you know you shouldn't let slide in your own life? What do you not address in your home that's going on that you know God wouldn't approve of? I always thought this was the silliest saying ever, but you've heard this. I, my mom didn't come up with it, but she, always, she would always tell me. Now, just remember, when you go out on that date, if God wouldn't go there, you ought not go there. <laughs> Do you know every time I walked into a bar, your pastor went to a few bars, not many. That wasn't my deal, but I did go to a few. My mama's voice was like somebody recorded it, said it on a loudspeaker right outside the doors. If God wouldn't go in there, you ought not go. I'm thinking, what? Do y'all hear that? Get hit. What? Nothing. You know what she was doing? She was setting a standard of morality based on God's word, not on what I feel like I want to do or because everybody else is doing it. It must be okay. It's not okay if everybody else is doing it. Amen? I'm preaching better than your, your amen in me today. The Bible teaches in Psalms 119, verse 27 and 28. Watch this. Now, listen, I want you to understand you too can know God's standards of morality, God's principles. You too. Not just, it doesn't, you don't get it on Sundays. Look, I, I'm speaking this much into your lives on Sunday. I'm giving you a shotgun blast. I'm trying to reach the 10-year-old the and the 90-year-old. And the, and, and, and there's no possible way that you can get everything you need spiritually to live on in, in, in a 45-minute sermon. Some of you said, well, it's an hour, but whatever, okay? So watch. Psalms 119.27 says this. Make me, say, everybody say me, understand the way of your, that's a, a capital, yours, meaning he is, meaning God's, precepts. So shall I meditate on your wonderful works. Verse 28, my soul melts from heaviness. Strengthen me according to your word. Do you know why your pastor's always on you about reading your Bible? For these type things. Because you're not getting enough at church. You're just, it's not enough. 
You must get into God's Word to know morality. You know you ought to be pretty good when you come to church. Well, the pastor thinks it ought to be pretty good. Yeah, what does God say? Well, the pastor thought, he, he said this and this. Well, what does the Word of God say? I might be wrong. Don't check your brain at the door when you come here. I'm human just like you. I'll make a mistake. You get in your Word, and you find out what it is. And don't make up your own standards. I like getting in here when it's going my way. I love reading the Word of God. Man, it's good. Yeah, yeah. Um, who, let me text that right over to that person. Get that, copy and paste that Bible verse right out and send that right over to Billy. Bam, you need to hear this today, Billy. And the Lord's back there with that big old bat fixing to say, you, you didn't get it. Come on, it, it, it don't apply to us. So we, I know somebody does. Praise God. We got a word when it's from somebody else. But we don't want a word from God when it's for us. Unless it's blessings. Time is very often used in moral relativism. Listen to me. Time. How in the world? My preacher done went crazy today. What does time have to do with morals and ethics? Watch this. I just don't have time to, let's fill in some blanks. Read my Bible. <clears throat> baloney. It's a new Hebrew word. Here's a new Greek word. Pray. New Greek word, baloney. I don't have time to read my Bible. I don't have time to pray. Oh, here's another phrase. I don't have time to come to church. Man, you're deep. In the pit. I just don't have time is a moral relative standard you have created for yourself, but it is a lie. You will do what you want to do. You will do what you believe is best for you, period. Nobody makes you do anything. And then, as I said, you can justify why you're not doing something, why you didn't have time to read your Bible. Watch this. For everything you can justify why you didn't, I can justify why you should. I can, I can, watch this, I can justify how you could, you could have. Well, I just don't have time to read my Bible. <clears throat> what time do you get up? Get up 20 minutes earlier. Oh, preacher, you just don't know my schedule. Sure don't. I know this. I know you don't have any more hours in a day than I got. And I don't have any more than you got. And we don't have any more than anybody else in this room got. There's 24 hours, period, right? But you take time and you can turn this into some type of moral relativism that says, I just don't. Guess what? You made up your own standard. And we just read a while ago in, in uh, Psalms 119, made me understand the way of your precepts. So shall I meditate on your wonderful works. My soul melts from heaven and strengthen me according to your word. How are you going to get strengthened if you ain't reading his word? You can come up with all the excuses in the world of why you can't do something. And when you get to heaven, you remember I preached the message several years ago. I need to preach it again. Excuses God won't accept. There are none. You know, there's no excuse you're going to make before. But God, you know, I, I tell you what, I was, I was super busy. But you know, I, I doubled up at the church. Do you know you doubling up doing stuff at the church and working at the church and doing all that stuff and, and, and baking and doing this and cooking and, and cleaning and teaching? And, you know, that has, that, is, that has nothing to do with your time spent in God's Word. Man, this is good stuff. I was telling Blade the other day, I've been doing a little study on the will of God. 
the will of God. I just, it just got overwhelmed. You ever, you ever, you ever uh, when you were a kid, they can't do it now because it causes something, I don't know, your hair to fall out, but that's not true. <clears throat> Drinking from a water hose, you were, you were that person that trusted the other person with it. We used to, we didn't have any money. We didn't have a, what do you, a, a squirter, a, what do you call it, a sprayer? Yeah, nozzle. So you crimp the hose down to flow. We didn't have enough sense to just turn it on a little bit. We wanted a full blast, right? So you crimp the hose. And <laughs> you were going to let it go. If somebody saw you just enjoying your, they were fixing to let that hose go. You, it was going up your nostrils. Your, your brain was going to burn. Y'all know what I'm talking about? So I was studying God's word, and this is what, that's the way it just come at me. It's like, whoa. And I told Blade, it was early one morning. I said, Blade, I said, I was doing this study on, on, on uh, uh, God's will. And I said, I got to look at it. Everything is God's will for our lives. Everything in the Bible. Some things to do and some things not to do. Everything is God's will. It was so amazing. See, you got to get in there for you. Amen? That's good. Glory to God. We even got a little chance to move on to a car with another day. I slipped one right in. Did you catch it? When I, he, we had to, we were sitting in the living room and had a Bible on the, on the chair where Tina reads her Bible. And he picked it up. I said, well, just spin that chair around there and move that around. And he picked it up. I said, you read that Bible much? <laughs> well, well, yeah, but not as much as I need to. I said, well, we don't know. You need, need, need to get in that word. See, little things. Little things. Amen? Come on now. Everyone has 24 hours in a day, no more, no less. What you allow your moral, moral relative standard to be is where you will spend your time. Think about that. If it, it, concerning time, if you allow everything else to come into your life and you make that your standard, your moral standard, saying, I don't have time for God's word. This is my standard of what I'm going to do with my time. Guess what? You just where you're going to spend your time. If you like doing whatever it is, you fishing, hunting, or, or carpentry, or I don't care what it is, whatever it is, you, you come up with it. If you're not careful, you'll spend more time there, and you'll be in a rush to get to go do those things, and you'll not spend time in God's Word. And the next thing you know, a week will go by, and you'll say, you know, I hadn't read God's Word. Dawned on you after seven days, did it? There was a problem before that. <laughs> Amen. Let me move on you. You're enjoying this so much. Bible, the Bible teaches us to seek him, speaking of time. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Who are we to seek first with our time? God. So if you're seeking God, that takes time, right? That takes some of your time during the day to seek God. So if God has no time, I can assure you, you can tell me what you want to. You can make up your, your, your standards as you will. But if you're not setting aside time for God, you're not seeking him. It's impossible because it takes time, a portion of your time to seek him. A meditation. What did he say a while ago in some? We meditate. What is meditate? My daddy said, let me meditate on that while I take a nap. My daddy loved to meditate Right after lunch. Y'all remember what I used to say? Now, little boys, I'm going to take, take me about 10. Y'all wake me up in 20. He's going to meditate. All right? 
So meditate means to think upon, to study. Just here's meditate. Here's what I do. When I meditate on it, I read the Bible. And like the other day I was talking about the will of God, and I began to meditate on it. I began to meditate. I, I wasn't reading anything else. I was just thinking, man, the will of God for my life. For my, I wasn't even thinking about you. <laughs> my life. Meditate. And I just began to stop and just not read, not do anything, but meditate on what, what does that mean to me? Next thing I know, it's 10, 15 minutes later. I'm like, wow, i got to get busy here. Meditate. Think about, think upon. Don't get in a rush. Meditate. Uh, I like to do carpentry, and, and Jason's helped us some, and, uh, and we'll start to do something. And Ethan, you know, he's, he's wide open. He's busy. <laughs> that we're going to get out. We're going to do this. We're going to get these two before us. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And then I'm gonna, let me think on that just a minute. I mean, meditate. It's just because I'm hoping he'll hurry up and get done with a lot of it. No, I'm kidding. Psalms 42 1 says this As the deer pants for the water brook, so, my, so, so pants my soul for you, O God. I just have a question. Have you ever been so hungry for the Word of God? that that's the only thing that could satisfy you and your spirit where something was just rumbling inside. You, you couldn't, you didn't know how to satisfy it, but it, it was God's word. And the more you got, the more it just filled you, the more it calmed you and it soothed you. Had, like that deer that's been running across the woods that would stop and, and, and drink from the brook. And that was the only thing that could satisfy that person or that, that deer was that fresh, cool water. You ever been out really working? It's been really hot, and you and you and you go to your to your ice chest and where you have water and cokes, because your moral standard doesn't matter. I just wait for an amen somewhere in the house of the Lord today, where you have water and cokes, and and you look in it, and there's no water. And you're tempted to turn up that old nasty water out of the cooler. But, but you, you get a Coke or a Dr. Pepper, whatever, and you open and you drink it and you're not satisfied. It makes you somewhat even thirstier. You're like, oh, my, I'm still thirsty. And you're still craving for that water. How long has it been since God's word, you've allowed God's word to create that hunger in you? How long? Have we got up in the morning and said, I don't care what happens. I'm fixing to get in God's word for a few minutes. Have you been so hungry for God's word? You say, ooh, I got two minutes. Oh, I'm, I'm running late. Okay, I'm not going to eat. I'm going to get God's word. Come on now. This is just real stuff. How, how, how much do we put God's word? How hungry are we for God's word? Well, pastor, you don't have to read every day. You know, that's true. You don't have to breathe every second either, but you do. Why? Because it gives you life. What does God's Word do? It gives you life, like a lot longer than you're going to need it here. Come on now, this is good stuff. Proverbs eight seventeen says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently or earnestly will find me. If you've been looking for God for years, I can I assure you that you hadn't been really looking for him. Your standard says you've been looking for him. Your, your relativism says I have been, but you really hadn't because his word says if you seek me, you'll find me. 
So you cannot tell me that if you're seeking for God and you ain't found him after 40 years, that you've been really looking for him. That's contrary to God's word. I don't care what your moral relative standard is. God's word says you seek me diligently, earnestly, you will find me. Period. Come on, this is good stuff. Moral relativism says it is all about you. If you're not happy with your morality, just come up with a new standard that is more relative to your situation. We read that in the definition. Oh, you don't like the way it's fitting? Try another shoe. Come on. The Bible teaches us, though, to die to self. Uh Uh-oh. We got a problem. David, we got a problem. When we got to die to self, hold up. Now, I didn't sign up for that. I just signed up to go to heaven. You mean I got to You mean I got to do something? I thought you said he paid it all. Huh? He did. But he didn't pay it all for you to stay where you are. To see, keep wallowing in your sin and your muck and your mire. That's not what he, he didn't pay it for that. And, and, and if you signed up for that, you, I, I, you, woo, you may not, you probably ain't even saved. If that's, if that's your reason. Struck a nerve. John 3.30 says this. He must increase and I must decrease. First Corinthians 15.31 says, that teaches us to, to die daily. He's got to increase in your life and you've got to decrease. If it's all about you and all about what you can have and how much you can get, there's a problem. There's a contradiction with God's standards. Woo! Hallelujah. Boy, I could go a lot of places right there, but I think I'll just stay on topic and get you on out of here. John 14, 6 says this. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except me, through me. No one. There is no other standards about getting to heaven than what God has established. You remember the story in the Bible where it says that you can't enter except through the sheep gate. You can't go over the wall. You can't go around it. You got to go through the gate. Because the shepherd, Jesus, is at the gate. He is the gateway that you must enter through that gate. And there is no other way that you can enter in. None. And how do we, how do we, how do we keep, how do we, how do we know that this is the way? You've got to get in God's Word. It's got to be by God's standards, God's principles, God's ideas, God's morality, God's standards. Not yours, not mine. I know this sounds cruel when we say, but God loves me. Doesn't He care about what I care about? Not really. Not, not, not necessarily. Because some stuff you care about, God says, that is not right. Because Why? We have our own moral standards we put up. And we think this is okay. God could care less about that. I'll never forget, Bobby, we were, one day we were talking. And uh, we were right out in front of the church. And you told me a story about the, I think it was Chinese people had come over and was talking about rice. And, and, and Bobby, someone was with Bobby, said that he's a man of faith. He believes in God. And the, his guest, the Chinese, whoever, ask him a question. So how does that play into you growing rice? 
Think about that. I don't know that answer. I don't know if Bobby ever came up with it. I, 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 I don't know. I hope. I, 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 you, you see what I'm saying? Does it, does it, it makes God, oh, God, I want you to do, but I want you to be prosperous. I want you to be blessed. But this, uh, in the big scheme of things, does that matter? Does he care? Well, I can tell you this. If your morality's off in left field, probably don't really care what what you're going to rise or a weed. Come on. Because he's more concerned with your soul than he is the external things of your life. Come on, till he gets, till this gets right. Woo! 1 Corinthians 9, 24 says, Do you not know that those who run a race in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Only one. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. I was, uh, when I was young, I was skinnier and I could run, okay? Mostly from mom or dad, but I could run. And so some of y'all get that. But we used to run what to call cross country. I, I know they still have that. I don't know how they run it today. But we went to a school where, where it was, uh, wasn't around the track. It was uh, through this neighborhood or that neighborhood. We always went to the golf course. That was lovely. You know how fast you run when, 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 when a gentleman's fixing the tee off and he's trying to hit you? you know. So we would, we would run around the golf course. And you think, well, this, I, I signed up for this. I think this is going to be so easy. It's an easy way to cheat on the backside over here. They're not going to know if you took a shortcut. Right? A couple of problems, though. Uh, you didn't get the whole layout. It wasn't like you had an aerial map where you get to know where you're going. So if you cut off, you may be making a long trip. <laughs> but here's another thing. You could be running through there, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, in the behind the trees, nowhere, you just, bam, a guy would pop up, and he was just a judge making sure you were still on the right course that you hadn't cheated, that you hadn't taken a shortcut to outrun everybody else. Amen? Kind of reminds me of God. He, he, he didn't say anything. Hey, he wouldn't even tell you you did disqualified if you took the shortcut and he saw you. You probably didn't even know he was there. Number 27, hang on. Nope. And when you get up there, you'd be, you'd be the first one. Yay, I run through the line. And, and here in a minute, I say, oh, you disqualified, you took a shortcut. Who saw that? I think one day we're going to get to heaven because you're going. Hmm. Disqualified. You had your own standards. You didn't keep my standards. But I'm a good person. Yeah, so am I most of the time. No, I'm. Ooh. You have to run your own race, and you have to run by the course rules. What are the rules? This is not a bunch of don'ts. Hear me out. I thought when I first got saved, oh, Lord, my life's fixing to be boring. I don't get to do anything. This is going to be horrible. I'm just going to be, ugh. It's not a bunch of don'ts. When you, <clears throat> when you come into right relationship with Jesus Christ, and you get blood-bought, born again, these rules are not don'ts. They're I don't want to's. 
There's got to be something different about when you come and say, Lord, I want you to come into my life, and I want to receive you, and I don't want to go do those things. Does that happen immediately? Didn't for me. I don't know about you. I I call it an ongoing process of sanctification. Glory to God. But immediately there were some things that I didn't want to go do. I knew that that standard of morality raised its flag and said, now start paying attention to me. Did I mess up and do some things? Sure did. But thank God for these standards that I began to read and that I'd been taught in, the, in my younger years. <clears throat> Moral relativism is found right in the Bible. Did you know that? Years ago. Right in the Bible. Watch this. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. That's more relative. I, I thought I was doing right. I thought abortion was okay. I thought homosexuality is okay. You and I pretty much know it's not. Right? Let me see. You and I know it's not. I, I, I didn't say that, there was, that, that those people didn't need prayer and that we hated them. That's not what I said. I said, it's not right. Regardless of what you think it is, regardless of how you view them, it has nothing to do with love. Do you hear me? It's God's standards. It says it's an abomination. I didn't come up with it. But when we start deviating from that, what is that? Moral relativism. I'm just going to make up my standards because, you know, it's all about love. Isn't God about love? God is love, and we love each other. And, I mean, but we love each other. Two, two men love each other, and two women love each other. Can't we just be a family? Can I hear me out? You are not a family. Hear me out. Listen to me. If you're, if you're living together and you're not married and you have kids, you are not God's defined definition of family. I know that's contrary to popular belief, but that is not family. There's a union between one man and one man, one woman in a covenant marriage that have offsprings. That, my friend, is the definition of true family. You can call it and label it whatever you want to, but it's right in the Bible. Glory to God. Matthew 7, 21. I need some music to close this out or something to kind of break the deal. I mean, it's heavy in here. Matthew 7, 21 says, Not every one of you who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. What is the will of my Father in heaven? That you keep his standards, that you meditate on his word day and night, that you hide it in your heart, that you keep his precepts. He taught the children of Israel. He said, write them upon the tablets of your heart. Tie a ring, if you will, or a ribbon around your finger to always remember that my commandments are true and they're right, and if you deviate from them, there is a penalty. And that penalty, my friend, is death. That penalty is separation from God. Being in hell is going to be the least of your worries, the stench and the, and the, and the smell and all of those things that the Bible teaches that we will have some of our faculties, at least the sight and the sound and the smell for sure, we'll have feeling there because the torment there, you, you feel torment, okay? And you're going to feel these things there. But that is, and bad as that is, the worst thing that we cannot describe now because we haven't been separated is to be separated from the presence of God. Because now, even in your darkest moment, you know there's still some hope. 
But when you're separated completely for eternity and you know there's absolutely zero, no hope, that, my friend, is torment. That is hell. But we don't have to go there. There's been a provision. But we do have to follow God's standards in order to run the course correctly, to stay on track, to get to heaven. Because he very, very much explicit here in the word of God says that some of you who say to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. That's who's going to make it in. Those that do the will of my Father. You can say what you want to. You can, you can come up with anything you want to, but if your standards are not God's standards, it's moral relativism, and moral relativism does not save you. Moral relativism gives you another thought pattern, another thought process, but it does not save. Moral relativism is not the blood of Jesus Christ. Moral relativism is the pathway to hell. I'm here to tell you, church, you better get in God's Word because there's things coming down the pipe, and I mean coming soon. I told you five years, and I, I think I lied to you. I think it's going to be more. I think it's going to be within five years. There's going to be things come down the pipe that I'm hearing in certain uh, uh, denominational circles, the hierarchy that are sending us information and things about how to gear up for the, for the near future. I'm not talking about five, ten years from now. I'm talking about the near future. The church, if we, don't get, if we don't get right with God, if we don't get on, get on that solid rock, get our feet planted, get them strapped in, I'm talking about bury, bury, you, bury yourself up to your knees so you can be planted in God's Word. There's going to be things that if you're not following God's standards now when there's no pressure, you will not follow them when there, are pre- when there is pressure. Come on. You think all of this stuff about these uh, shutting down these churches and these pastors that are in California and these right up here in Canada, right up north of us, that are going to, going to jail and prison, facing prison time. Now, I know Canada is not us, but, but hey, whatever you just watch, whatever Canada does, it, we just follow it. We just follow it. I'm telling you, church. There's going to come a time where you won't be able to sit in this church house. There's going to become a time, guess what, when this Everybody that's in the community will wish they would have come and filled a seat. Because they won't be able to. Say, oh, Pastor, you're doom and gloom. I'm a realist. And I believe some of that's going to happen before the rapture of the church. I don't believe we're here for the tribulation, but I believe there's going to be persecution. We had not been persecuted. Our persecution comes from well, I just don't, my, my tummy's hurting today. I didn't want to come out. I didn't want to come today either. Got hit in the head last night. This thing fell out of the sky. Bam, hit me right in the head. See that, Mark? It's a roller out of a roll-up door. Hit me right in the head. About knocked me slap out. Do you hear me? I saw God three times. I was wobbling on my knees, and Ethan comes and says, Dad, you all right? And I got blood on my hands. It was bleeding. I'm thinking, my God. You want my flesh said? Are you ready? I didn't cuss. Did I cuss, son? Okay. I want to make sure I didn't hear it, but, you know, I got a different standard. So, y'all got one too, don't you? You cuss. Bad words. Hey, by the way, I don't know if there's a cuss police. <laughs> I don't know where it is. But, but, let me down no, no, no. so, so here's my point. I had I could have come up with an excuse. 
and said, you know, I, my, my flesh immediately said, you know, that's going to be a big knot out there. It's probably going to be blue. And my wife, I got home, and you know what she said? Bless her heart. She said, oh, they're going to rag you in the morning. <laughs> in my spirit, I said, no, they ain't. I ain't going to go. I mean, this don't look right. The pre- preacher got a knot on his head. I mean, you know, his wife, you know. <laughs> How many of y'all know what I'm talking about being for real now? These little things. I See, I don't come and preach this gospel to you because of the way I look. It has nothing to do with my looks because there's a lot better looking people. I come preach the word of God. Because I'm going to tell you the truth. And that's what you've got to have today. But there's things that are coming down, church, that if we, don't, if, we don't get, if we don't get ourselves in tune with Christ, watch this, verse 22, and I'm going to close. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, 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 Lord. That's hypocrisy at its best. Because see, anytime you hear something twice in the Bible, that means Pay attention. That's when God, if God says that, if he says, uh, yeah, yeah, I say unto thee or whatever, hey, pay attention. Thus says the Lord. He's wanting you to pay attention. And it's almost like this is mockery. Lord, 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 pay attention to what I'm finna tell you. What does it say? Have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name? I love the way that hypocrisy in your name. He put it off on him, right? And done many wondrous wonders in your name. It's a question. Somewhere in this parable, they're standing asking him a question. Lord, hadn't we done this? Lord, Lord, pay attention to what I've been doing, my works. And then, what's this? I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. What is lawlessness? Your standard. That's all. That's simply put in today's message. That is your, your standard. What you believe to be right. My daddy used to say something about like this. Well, you can put you back then it's cheaper. You put you a quarter of that and go get you a cup of coffee, and that's about what it's worth. It don't mean anything. You can say what you want, church. But if we don't start following God's standards, get in His precepts, quit, quit doing the things that we think nobody's seeing in the, in the bedroom with somebody that we ain't supposed to be in there with, or drinking over here, or doing this. You say, Pastor, you against drinking? I am against drinking. I'll just tell you right up. I have no problem telling you that. I'm against drinking. I have a zero tolerance. Will, will Pastor, if I drink a beer, will that send me to hell? Can't, can't, can't say that. Can't say that. But I know this, that you won't become a drunkard without first taking one drink. I can tell you that for sure. Drunkenness comes after the first drink. And so if it's one drink that sends you on that path, then I'm absolutely 100% against it. Why? The Bible says abstain from the very appearance of evil. And if it looks like it's going to take me down to hell, I don't even want to, I don't even want to entertain the thought of going that way. Amen? I want to close my eyes. I don't want to walk on past that road. Come on now. This is not popular preaching. But nobody asked me when I came here that I want to be popular.
I want you to go to heaven. We're all on this walk together. We're going to make mistakes along the way. But let's don't change God's standards. Let's don't come up with our own and say, I'm doing okay. I'm all right because this is where I'm at in my walk with Him and, and it feels good to me and I, I'm doing good. Well, maybe you, maybe you are. But don't let that send you to hell. Don't get off track. Come on, this is good stuff, church. We need this today because I'm serious. I don't even know how to approach. I was praying the other day, and I said, Lord, how do we, how do we go into the next 24 months of church, of doing church? I don't, even, find I don't even know how to do that. With the stuff that I've been hearing and getting through, the, through our denomination, I don't even know how to navigate. I don't even know where to start. This. It's almost like it changes every week. Something different. Watch out for this. Watch for this. This is coming. This over here is going to start to change. Be aware of this little thing that seems innocent now. Watch this. Do this. Be, be. It's like, uh, you know, I don't even know where to start. To navigate how, how the church will stand in five years. I'm not here to scare you. I'm not into scare politics. Never have been. I can't scare you out of hell or scare you into heaven. I can't. That's not my job. I'm telling you, we got to get in God's Word. We must stay in God's Word to know how to stay, how to stand. Because I'm telling you, if you're not in God's Word, you're only here one time a week, twice for most of you, here at the church. You're in the world, your family. This stuff is coming so fast. We, I thought the mark of the beast and all that stuff would be years away. But I thought I'd be dead and gone. I wouldn't have to worry about it. But it is happening so fast. Cryptocurrency is coming so fast. They're doing away with money. Money won't do you any good. Cash in the, in, the, in the bank won't do you a bit of good when it comes to cryptocurrency. All of these things are coming and they're coming fast. You're seeing empty shelves in the United States of America today because someone has said don't unload stuff. We used a pandemic. And I know it's real. I'm not, I'm not negating it. I'm telling you that is the vehicle in which the enemy is bringing in and ushering in a brand new America. And if we don't get right and we don't stand on God's word, I'm telling you we're going to be sucked in. I don't know how to handle this, all of this that's coming. Praying and seeking. Thank you. Praying and seeking. God, where do we go, Lord? What do we need to do? But I can tell you, Sunday morning and Wednesday night is not enough for any of us. We have to be strategic in our operations just as the devil, the enemy is strategic in his planning on how we got here. You think about this, and I'll close. I said that a while ago, but I'm going to close. In the 50s and 60s, the biggest thing that's happened in schools was pulling ponytails. In the 80s, when I, I, late 70s, early 80s, uh, drank a little beer. Look where we are today. In the church house, 
it's okay for you to be an ordained minister and be gay. How did we get from there in 40, 50 years to here? You know why? Because we started making our own standards and said, well, you know, your denomination is goofy. You raise your hands when you worship. Okay, whatever. And we don't really believe in that. We don't have to be spirit-filled. We just believe you get, you get the spirit, you get everything. Get everything when you get it all, you get it all. I agree with that to a degree. But, but, uh, but you know, you're a little strict. I mean, you, you know, you got to live right. To, you, got to, you, got to be, you live right to be a deacon. I mean, you got to live right to be a, be a pastor. I mean, you got to have some standards according to 1 Timothy 3. I mean, are you sure? You, you, you need to uh, be above reproach. You need to be a husband of one wife. I know that's a, oh, that's a sticky subject right now in the world. I'm, I'm not only about divorce. I'm just saying this is what God's standard says. I, I don't get to deviate from them. You, 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 got to, you got to, if you can't take care of your own household, come on, watch me. If you can't take care of your own household, how are you going to take care of the house of God? You got these pastors that can't take care of the kids, don't know what, they don't know, if they, they're the, you know, you, you walk in and they're the, the demonized terror of the church, the pastor's kids. Something wrong with that. Come on. I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about the pastors. How did we get here, church? Moral relativism. I'll make my standard, you make yours, and let's be okay. We're all going to get to heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lord. Let's take up an offering and go home. Yeah, don't be too long on that song. Stand with me.